Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. It is great to be with you all this morning. If you are new or visiting with us, you are joining us for week seven of our Neighborhood Watch series. What it means to be a Christian and to love our neighbor. The most challenging command probably in scripture, to love our neighbor as ourself. And so this is week seven of this series. And if you have not been challenged by this series, I don't know. I, this is probably one of the most challenging series for me because there are so many tangible applications each and every week on what we as Christians are called to do to love our neighbor. This isn't some high theological mumbo jumbo. This is each and every week, are you loving your neighbor? Because as Chip has told us each and every week, our ability to love our neighbor, how we love our neighbor is a good indicator of our relationship with God. Are you loving your neighbor? You know, there was a time when my twin brother and I, Jordan, were in college, and as we went into college, we were looking for different ways that we could stay active, and so we, we began to enter into the running world. Neither one of us are natural runners. We're not good runners, but we, we enjoyed the running world and everything that came along with it. Part of entering into the running world was going to the Glass City Half and Full Marathon. Not necessarily running it, but we enjoyed cheering people on. Now my brother, he took it to the next level when it comes to cheering on. In, in fact, to this day, my brother will drive up to Toledo early on a Sunday morning just to cheer people on at the Glass City Marathon. In one year, um, I went with him and a few others went with him and and we got to discover everything that Jordan had mastered when it came to cheering people on. And he, he would have everything mapped out. He knew exactly where we had to be, when we had to be there. And we, would, we did more running than the marathon runners did. We were running all over Toledo trying to find certain people. But it wasn't just certain people with Jordan. With Jordan, it was every average Joe that had their name on a name tag. And he would start yelling out their names. People were so confused. They would see him at every turn. They're like, we have no idea who this man is. But he did it anyways. In fact, there was one point in time to where me and I think Kelsey was with him. And I mean, he is yelling and cheering. And it's like 7.30 in the morning in residential neighborhoods. Everybody, we tend to be quiet. And everybody else is looking around at Jordan like, what is going on here? And you know, Kelsey and I, we were a little embarrassed. We we're kind of like taking a step back in the crowd. And he's yelling and screaming and cheering people on. And here comes an individual. And he's got his name on his name tag. And he yells the name, Bobby, let's go, Bobby. And Bobby sees him. And he, you can see like, yeah. And he has no idea who, the, who Jordan is. And Jordan has no idea who he is. Well, Jordan, I don't know what was going on. But he gets out, and he, he gets out into the runway where people are running. And he gives Bobby a chest bump out of nowhere. Me and Kelsey, we're over here, and we're, we're, we're done. Um, in doing that, Bobby then falls over. 
here the man is giving everything he has to finish this marathon, and Jordan just flat on his back. But here's what was really cool about this. While the rest of us were like heads down, we don't know him, I got a face that looks like him, so I'm doomed anyway. I just start walking away. But the individual, Bobby, what, I don't know his name, he's on the ground, giving everything he's got. And he gets back up with a smile on his face. Jordan feels awful. And he gets up with a smile on his face, and he keeps on running. Because he loved seeing Jordan, the passion, the heart, the joy of cheering him on. That's all that mattered. He had more energy after getting back up than he had for the first six miles. You know, as humans, I think we can learn a very important lesson from Jordan. And from this man who fell on the ground after being knocked down. We as humans, we love to be cheered on. We love to be invested in. Jordan did not have to get up early, drive to Toledo, map every stop out. He did not have to do that. He was not getting an award for being the best, most obnoxious fan out there. Jordan understood that there was a certain joy that was just unique into investing into these runners, whether he knew them or not. He would discover the first name and he would cheer them on. As humans, we love to be invested into. We love to be cheered on. As humans, we need to be cheered on. We need to be invested in. You know, as humans, we, we go days, weeks, maybe even months and years where we wonder if we're even going to make it. Believe me, as you're running a marathon, you're questioning every life decision. And all of us right now are in the marathon of life. And there are days, weeks, months, and even years where we're wondering, how am I going to get across the finish line? The messes that keep on appearing on the ground, the stress at work, the never-ending rat race that seems to have us keeping on going and going and going and going and never stopping. There are days where we make mistakes, mistakes that seem so crucial, so large, so drastic, we wonder if we can even come back from them. As humans, we need to be cheered on because friends right now let me tell you if you think you're alone and feeling miserable every now and then take joy because you're not alone we all go through it each and every one of us have seasons in our lives where we experience the chaos of this world wondering what's going to happen but if we are lucky enough if we are lucky enough, then maybe, just maybe, there is an individual in our lives where as we're coming around the corner of a tough season, we see them, they're invested, and they are cheering us on. They don't necessarily change the situation. Jordan, knocking Bobby down, doesn't give, just give him a shortcut to the finish line. Bobby still has to get up and still finish the race. But seeing Jordan made Bobby's run all that much better. And if you and I, if we are lucky enough, we have that individual in our life that cheers us on, who is invested, who wants us to see, get us, see us get across the finish line no matter what. If we are lucky enough. You know, as Christians, we are called to a higher standard. We are called to a different level 
of living. The question should not be, hey, am I lucky enough? The question for you shouldn't be, am I lucky enough? We shouldn't be saying, well, if they're lucky enough, they'll have somebody. No, 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 no. The question that we need to be asking is how do we make sure that no one has to wonder if they are lucky enough? How do we make sure that each and every person is invested in, cared for, taken care of at every life turn? This is our calling. This is what it means to be on the neighborhood watch. This is what it means to love our neighbor. And notice the wording here. It's not asking, how do I make sure that I have someone lucky enough? Or how do I make sure that I'm lucky enough to have that one person? The wording is, how do I make sure that someone around me is the lucky person? That I get to love on, that I get to cheer on, that I get to invest into. To make sure that they get across the finish line. Today we're going to be in Galatians 6. And I would invite you to join me there. Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. And even though this isn't the only piece of scripture that's dealing with this question, I believe it's Galatians 6 and the first 10 verses that are going to show us the path that we need to be on for the comprehensive answer as to what it is to love our neighbor in a way that nobody, no one, has to wonder if they are lucky enough to have that one person in their life. Before we get to Galatians 6, though, I want to preface. I want to preface with a couple of verses right beforehand. Starting in verse 25 of chapter 5, Paul says this. If we live by the Spirit, basically saying, hey, if you are a Christian, if you say you are a Christian, if we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. <laughs> if you are a Christian, you better start living like a Christian. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. This is the preface that then leads into Galatians 6 because here at the forefront of what we're going to discuss, we know that first and foremost, if we are going to love our neighbor, if we're going to invest into our neighbor, we need to check our own hearts first because we can't love our neighbor properly if we're conceited or provoking, if we're jealous or comparing. We need to have our hearts on the up and up if you will. And so we begin then in Galatians 6. And he says this, Brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Pay close attention to yourselves so that you are not tempted to. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work. Then he can take pride in himself and not compare himself with someone else. For each one will carry his own load. Right away in verse 1, brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin. I believe Paul is being very intentional with it. I mean, think about it. When is it most hard to love our neighbor? If not, when they have sinned. And it's very public that they have sinned. And maybe that sin is even involving you and they have hurt you and they have betrayed you. How difficult is it to love our neighbor when someone has legitimately sinned against us? We want to shout, how could you? I'm going to wring their neck. 
Why would you do that? You dummy. How hard is it to love our neighbor when we discover a sin in their life? And yet Paul here is saying, hey, when you discover that someone has sinned, if you are living in the spirit, if you are a Christian and you discover someone has sinned, and if you say you are who you are, then that sin does not trump the fact that your responsibility is to restore that individual. In the most difficult situation it is to love our neighbor, Paul saying, hey, if you are who you say you are, then that sin should not bother you so much to where you're not going to get over it eventually. And not only should you be getting over this sin, you need to be restoring that individual beyond their sin. But how often do we as Christians, as human beings, we see someone's sin and we just want to point it out and we want to say, what'd you do, man? Paul's like, no, 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 no. If you are a Christian, if you are living by the Spirit, then it's time you begin to live in the Spirit. And if you are living in the Spirit, you won't take an attitude of superiority. You will get down on your knees. And he says, with the Spirit of gentleness, you will restore. Restore with the Spirit of gentleness. What is the Spirit of gentleness? If not, how do we be gentle? Well, first I would say this. We are gentle when we begin to remember our own sin. When we begin to remember that, hey, I'm not perfect. That I've hurt people. I've done that. It's a spirit of dropping the rock before we throw the rock. It's a spirit of saying, I'm going to kneel down. How often do we want to say, just lift them up, just get up here, just be. But Paul says, with the spirit of gentleness, we get down on our knees. And then we restore back to an equal footing. To where, no, it's not, we're not greater because we help someone get up. We are equal because we are loving our neighbor in a manner in which Jesus would restore his neighbor. With a spirit of gentleness. Restore back to equality. We're not thinking, man, they're so lucky I'm forgiving them. Man. It's us remembering, no, I need it too. And because I need it too, I will get down into the dirt and I will lift them up, no matter how badly they have hurt me. If they come to me repenting, if they come to me mourning, even if they don't, I will do everything I can to love my neighbor because I am no greater or worse off than this individual. With the spirit of gentleness, Paul is calling us to restore. And he continues in the verse 2 and he says, he says, carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? But to love your neighbor as yourself. To carry one another's burdens. But notice what he's not saying. He's not saying, hey, we're trading struggles. We're trading burdens. No, 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 no. It's not an individual saying, hey, here's my porn struggle, and I'll take your alcoholism. You're not trading cards here. It's two individuals who are coming together, recognizing their own faults and behaviors and realizing they need help. And instead of just unloading on one another, they decide to link up together and say, we're going to get through this together. Sharing the weight, not simply unloading the weight. It's two people, one person dealing with, with financial stress and another person dealing with familial bitterness. And they say, we're not going to unload this on one another. We're going to link up together and we're going to carry each other through this. And in this way, we will fulfill the law of Christ. And we will love one 
another. As one person wrestles with something in their life, another person comes along and says, I will wrestle with this with you. Through prayer, through worship, through confession, two individuals push through the obstacles of life together. But the minute we think to ourselves that we don't need someone in our lives, the minute we think to ourselves that our life is perfect, the minute we think to ourselves that we are on our high horse and we have nothing to worry about is the minute we deceive ourselves. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You know, friends, by not properly seeing our own struggles, by not viewing our own burdens, by not viewing our sins in the proper light, we then begin to live in denial. And when we live in denial, we become worthless to anyone who truly needs our help. And we become worthless to ourselves because we have deceived ourselves. Verses four and five then go on to talk about, hey, let each one examine his own work. Then he can take pride in himself and not compare himself with someone else. For each one will carry his own load. How often, friends, do we want, we desire, we say, yes, I want to love my neighbor. But in the midst of wanting to love our neighbor, we end up just comparing ourselves to our neighbor. Thinking about our own weaknesses, our own flaws, or our better characteristics and thinking of their worst characteristics. As we are lifting up our brothers and sisters through their struggles, we can't help but think how better we are. Because we're comparing ourselves to them. To them. Maybe, maybe you're the person that's currently being lifted up, being restored. And all you can think to yourself is, I don't need them, I don't need them, I'm better than this, I'm better than this, and we refuse to allow them to love on us. Friends, if we can't allow someone to love on us, how do we expect to ever love on anybody? We must allow ourselves to be humbled to receive love in order to then give love. But if we are so busy concentrating on comparing ourselves to one another, then we've completely lost the ability to see our neighbor as Jesus would see our neighbor. At the end of the day, we are responsible for our own hearts. This is our load. We can't link together if all we're doing is comparing ourselves to one another, thinking to ourselves, they need to fix this, they need to do that better, they need to... Our heart is our load. And in the midst of caring and caring for our heart, we then are able to link together with fellow brothers and sisters and push through the obstacles of life together. You know, there are some here today, maybe, and you're hearing this and you're thinking to yourself, yes, I agree. This person in my life needs to care for me better. You're thinking to yourself, yes, this institution, this church, maybe. Yes, I agree with everything that Justin is saying. This church needs to care and invest more in me. Friends, if this is you, you're missing the picture. Because let me tell you this right now. The church is not limited to this building. The church is not limited to a pastor. The church is not limited to the staff. The church is not limited to well-programmed events. The church is not limited to Sunday morning. The church, friends, today, hear me out, is you and me each and every day living in this world, looking for opportunities to love our neighbors. But how often do we say, though, 
someone else will take care of it. That's the church's responsibility. And we wait because someone else will do the thing that anybody could have done and the thing that everyone is called to do. But no one ends up doing it because we are all waiting for someone to be the solution. Friends, when it comes to loving our neighbor, when it comes to making sure that nobody has a single doubt in their mind if they are lucky enough to have the person who is investing in their life, it happens when we decide to become the solution. When we decide to become the solution, we begin to give our neighbor no doubt of our love. Instead of waiting for somebody else, instead of waiting for it to be just taken care of, when we decide to become the solution. He continues then into Galatians, verse 6. Now the one who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with the one who teaches it. Do not be deceived. God will not be made a fool. For a person will reap what he sows. Because the person who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. You know, going back to the preface, going back to verses 25 and 26 where Paul was talking about, do not become conceited, do not be provoking, and do not be jealous. It is coming into play right here in these verses. Where we're, taught, where we're told, hey, if someone has done a good thing in your life, do not compare, do not think, wow, I could have done better. Tell that person about the good thing that they have done in your life. I mean, why do we as humans struggle so much to say thank you or to say, to tell somebody you've had this impact on my life because of your encouragement? Why do we struggle so much to let somebody know the positive impact they've had on our lives? And part of me believes it's because we're so afraid that it would expose a weakness in our life. When we tell someone, hey, you influenced me in this way, it then says that you didn't have it figured out to begin with. And it exposes what we would say a weakness. Do we hold back because maybe we're just waiting for someone to be grateful with us first? Yeah. How often do we do that? Well, I'm not going to tell them how good they are because no one's telling me how good I am. But Paul says here, if you have received something good from someone, maybe it's a word of encouragement, maybe it's an impactful gesture, maybe it's a good teaching, maybe it's a good sermon. I mean, just, I mean, <laughs> let them know. Let them know, and in doing so, you will be loving your neighbor. Why do we hold back? And Paul says, all good things, all good things. Don't just tell someone, hey, thanks for a great job. Tell that person how you've impacted, how you've been impacted by their life. Give them details. What has changed about your life? What was that one thing that, that they did that just reoriented your day for that one moment? And you're like, wow, this just helped so much. Friends, it's so easy for us to take the easy routes out so often to say, okay, yeah, thank you. See ya. Have a good day. See ya. If there's someone in your life that has done a work in your life, we begin to sow into the spirit 
by telling them, this is what you have done for me. And in doing that, we continue to carry one another's burdens linked together, pushing through the obstacles of life. But be careful. Be careful because God will not be made a fool. If you are only looking to compliment somebody so that they'll compliment you back, if you are only looking to do something good so that someone will do good to you back, friends, this is no good at all. And God will not be deceived. Think about it. I mean, two weeks ago we talked about bitterness. How often does bitterness linger because we are only focused on ourselves and what we're getting out of life and what people can give to us? When all we're doing is wondering how I can bring more in for myself, Paul says, so to the flesh, so to ourselves. When all I'm doing, it's like, it's like the apple tree. It's like an apple tree that's growing all of these apples, and the apples are ripe and they're ready for taking, but the apple tree cannot be taken from. Well, great, it's fine and dandy that the apple tree is growing all of this ripe fruit, but if the people cannot pick from the apple tree, eventually those apples fall off and they just grow rotten, and then nobody's happy. But don't you see, this is what we do when we're only sowing to ourselves, when we're only bringing in for me, 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 I, I, I. We might have the best ideas. We might have the greatest solution. But if no one is receiving and being fed by us, we are simply the apple tree with rotten apples on the ground around us, doing nothing to support others. God will not be made a fool. So sow not to the flesh, but sow in the spirit. In order to reap, we must sow. We can't reap if we have not sown anything. And in order to sow into somebody authentically, I think we would all agree, in order to invest into somebody authentically, it takes us growing interest in their lives. The only thing is, in order to grow interest into someone's life, we must first invest in their lives to know about their lives. You see how the circle is? In order to invest properly, authentically, We need to have interest. But in order to grow interest, we need to invest. So often we're waiting for that one friend. Oh, yes, I'm finally interested in somebody. No. Invest with the purpose of investing more. Invest with the purpose of eventually growing interest. Invest to grow interest with the purpose to invest some more. And in doing so, we begin to sow beyond ourselves. We begin to sow from outside our flesh. And we come to the last two verses then. Galatians 6, verses 9 through 10. says this. So we must not grow weary in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who belong to the family of faith. especially to those of the family of faith. Friends, it starts right here in this room. It starts with the people sitting beside you. It means even if you don't like the person over there or the person over there, hey, it's time we link together. Friends, I would challenge you today. Do you know the story of the life of the person even sitting down your row? 
Do you know the story of the person sitting behind you, in front of you? How are you investing into the lives of the people of this church and getting to know them? Friends, it's not easy. It takes work. It means vulnerability and accountability. But Paul is saying here, if you are living by the Spirit, if you are a Christian, then you will begin to stop worrying about maybe the difficult conversations, the awkward small talk and everything in between, and you will begin to invest in the lives of fellow brothers and sisters to get to know them so that you begin to get interested in them and then you can invest even more into them. And in doing so, and in doing so, we leave our neighbors with no doubt of our love for them. If we do not give up whenever we have an opportunity friends this isn't about waiting for an opportunity loving if there's one thing i have learned from observing married couples is that i know that love is not a passive decision it's a very active daily ongoing decision friends that is not limited to marriages if we are called to love our neighbor it is a very active decision looking for opportunities to love on them and here's the, here's, here's the cool part. Paul says, if we do not give up. Friends, today, this goes on both sides of the scale. Loving our neighbor is a very messy process. Friends, today, you might be thinking, I wish somebody would love on me. My question is, how are you going to receive that love? Because, friend, Christians, even though they're Christians, do not love perfectly. There will be flaws in that love. Are you ready to receive love from an imperfect person? Are you ready to receive mistakes in the midst of this love? And on the other side of things, we say, well, I'm not perfect. I can't love on my neighbor because I don't have everything figured out. Paul isn't telling us to wait till we have everything figured out. We'll never have everything figured out. But in every opportunity, all good things, we are to share with our brothers and our sisters. Jordan, in the midst of cheering on this individual, Bobby, as he's running a marathon of his life, he's probably going for a PR and lost it because of Jordan. Make sure you give Jordan a hard time after this. Everybody else around us, they were all like, what did that guy just do? He just knocked that runner down. How dare he? How could he? And how often do we as Christians, we see others in the midst of trying to do something good. We can only see the flaws because for some reason it makes us feel better about ourselves. But this individual, Bobby, he didn't look at the mistake that Jordan had made. He saw Jordan with his heart and saying, this guy's cheering me on. This guy wants to get me across the finish line. And this man, instead of resenting Jordan, he gets back up, gives Jordan a smile, and he's on his way. But how often do we as Christians, when somebody is trying to love on us and they make a mistake, we want nothing to do with them. And we close them off. Friends, there, we have life groups in this church. Intimate communities where people are getting to know one another and they're sharing burdens and they're linking together. But life groups are messy. Bible studies are flawed because we're human. And until we can invest in people's lives despite the messes that we're causing, we will never be able to move anywhere. Friends, we must be able to invest despite the mess and then show some grace. How do we ensure that nobody is without a doubt of our love? We become the solution. We begin by investing and we, dis and we continue to invest despite the mess. Friends, 
like I said at the beginning, this series calls for tangible, hard action steps. You know, I had someone come up to me earlier this week, and they were talking about, as they were walking through bitterness in their life, two weeks ago we were talking about this, and they were challenged to do something about it. So they did. There was bitterness in this person's heart, and they decided, I'm going to reach out to this person. Yeah, they caused pain in my life. They did this to my life. But you know what? I did something in their life, too, and I need to reconcile this. And they made the tangible decision to say, I will reach out. And they did. And friends, it was good. Now, I'm not going to say every time somebody does something, it's going to be a win-win-win. But Lord, the Lord promises us a joy that goes beyond our understanding, peace that goes beyond our understanding if he is in the forefront of who we are. And if we are the ones taking tangible steps to love our neighbor, we will reap from the Holy Spirit. Any mess that is created, any problems that we have come across, any sin that has been done to us, none of it is greater than what we can reap from the Holy Spirit. How, my friends, are you loving your neighbor? What will you do this week? How will you invest? How will you look across the aisles and say, I want to get to know this individual? And in doing so, you link together, pushing through the obstacles of life, leaving no doubt about who is number one in your life. Will you love your neighbor this week? Father, we come to you this morning and we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. Lord, would you give us the courage and the strength and the perseverance to do the challenging thing, to love our neighbor, to invest despite the lack of interest, to invest despite the mess. Would you help us be the ones who decide first and foremost to be the solution? God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for being our good, good father. He unites us all. Mold us, change us, impact our hearts. We love you, we praise you. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go, love your neighbors. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.